in this 165th episode entitled Keep Out of Trouble, New Year's Coming. We have questions on protein, max tests, another one from Tenerife, uh, crank length, motorsport and multi-sport, power, heart rate, mountain bike racing, tapering, fueling and more. Welcome to the 10th year of the Coach Joe Beer Multisport Podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and all fitness enthusiasts. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. We are supported by No Pin suppliers of club, custom and aero cycling and power. Watch nopins.com for news of custom scanning, club kit and new products for 2019. Also supported by and recording in cyfortracing.co.uk for all your biking needs, whether mountain bike, tri, sportif, gravel, TT, cyclocross, all of it. Visit cyfortracing.co.uk. And finally, Fourth Edge, blood profiling to test, track and optimise your diet, training and recovery for peak performance in 2019. Visit fourthedge.co.uk. I'm Coach Dobie and I'm joined once again by Martin Crocker, VIP of SFR in SFR. Evening. Evening. Evening, everybody. Here we are. We're, we're getting into the dark nights of recording. We have a lovely set of decorations. I'll go no more. Christmas scene. Christmas scene. A Christmas even. scene. Christmas scene, yes. So, you've been racing. Always racing. Life's a race. Getting a podium. I scabbed a podium. <laughs> you got to take it when it, when it happens it, and it doesn't I saw, happen very I saw often. It, it went viral over the internet. I was... Uh, you've never seen a man more smug stood on a podium than my good self. But no, these things happen. Smug or thinking they're going to find out? They're going to find out? <laughs> I've been hoodwinked. No, I've hoodwinked people. But no, so it was just good. tell us about it, just very briefly. I don't want the blow-by-blow blow account of an hour's worth of cyclocross plus one lap. Just tell us... This blow was mountain biking, it wasn't. I was in mountain biking, yeah. sorry. I thought cyclocross. Oh, OK, you've moved on. Yeah, can't this keep, I can't keep track. But okay. yeah, it was good local event, so really good local event that we uh, take part in. Really good. So um, the unfortunate thing is my teammate who was leading it got a puncher about 300 metres mm. from the finish. Darwin, mate, Darwin. So Couldn't I, he run it in? What's wrong with He it? was running. He was running. And but he not, as, not as fast as I was riding. <laughs> that was a, oh, the, 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 yeah, it was a bit uncomfortable oh. when I asked him if I could borrow his podium talk, so I got mine dirty because he won't be needing it. <laughs> So no, it was it was. You, go, cruel. you heard it here. It's cruel to be kind. It was cruel, but it was good. But thank you very much. Um, I would just like to say thank you for an awesome year. From this time last year, doing the the Johnny and uh, Ali Brownie interviews at Sigma Sport Name talk, talks in London, <laughs> the Bourbon Performance Centre, Tri Clubs, the Club of Santa Camp, getting. Kona finishes, Kona qualifiers for next year, the Scott launch, SIS product development, BioRacer, OMG. That's all I can say about 2018. And thank you, listeners, for, for 
being part of our podcast and giving us the, the questions and giving us feedback and people saying what they'd uh, what they'd uh, yeah what they'd like um i think i, I was just going to say this because as a coach you aren't always going to be everybody's cup of tea coaching's about personalities but you try to do your best and sometimes it's just the wrong combination of two people it just don't quite work together and, and that's a shame sometimes but um those that have moved on or, or or never called back never never followed things up um i hope you've got your goals you you've beaten your pbs beaten the demons even and um sincerely i hope you're you're truly happy with outcomes that's what i try and get as athletes to be faster but also happy people we don't want people to be faster but really uh not very happy with who they are. Uh, I don't just want fast athletes. I want to have um, people that I really consider to be friends and that have helped to get to their goals. So all of you out there that have listened, you've achieved, you've you've sent us questions, you've given us smiles. Hopefully sometimes if a joke even works, we might have even made you smile. So thank you, thank you, thank you. A sincere thank you. Is that sincere enough? Very good. Right. Very good. But like you said, sometimes... Two people don't gel, and it's just the way it is. But yeah, like you said, and sometimes pe- actually, I was thinking sometimes people don't gel with the sport they think they should be doing. You know, some people try and they they, they push themselves into something, and it just doesn't quite work. And then they do a, a derivative or a shorter distance or a longer distance of that particular sport, and suddenly it clicks. And I think 2019 should be the year where people make things just work, and not bash your head against the wall and it not work because that's pointless because you haven't got anywhere and some people you know they talk about the naturals that get into sport no what they found is the sport that works for them and you can pretty much guess when you listen and see and read autobiographies and stuff they tried loads of things and something just suddenly resonated with them and sometimes you have to say that with athletes try this and then it might even be a different type of session or a different thing to do and they'll do it and bingo things start to work better so let's all try something a bit let's try and make it a bit more seamless i think is the way to look at 2019 don't fight it if it's not working it's not working a certain session never seems to happen or a certain person never turns up or a certain thing isn't happening don't try and make it happen sometimes the best things are when you let those go and then move on to the next things that seem to work because otherwise you can just like oh why didn't that happen why didn't that happen that might be sometimes accidental timing's a bit out but sometimes you just got to go hmm just got to sidestep this one i reckon and people try it and uh bingo it works so should we crack on? Let's. Question, questions? Question number questions. one. Questions. Yes. Two contestant number one. <laughs> Two contestant number one. This is like blind date. Uh, there was going to be one, and I'll say now, there was going to be a question, not question even, there was some info on on doping and on doping and age groupers, and I was going to bring out something that somebody sent me via Facebook and stuff like that, and I thought, do you know what? That can get really negative. And we can just be talking about the real downsides and the negatives of, of doping and stuff like that and it's like do you know what? every time you see somebody there's a there's a sprinter wasn't there in the week that was that was caught and has got a four-year ban there's been another cyclist uh, about 10 days ago with an epo ban it's like do you know what you could get really down negative about the highlight things and you forget the other tens of thousands of pro athletes that are not doping and that are doing well so i thought don't do that. Go for something that we can do something about and we can help somebody and therefore drop that doping thing. Well, we could quite easily fill a podcast with information negativity. that we have and, and negativity. <laughs> but 
to be honest, the airtime that it gets through the news is probably enough and all it deserves really anyway. So yeah. um, you guys know how to, 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 to race clean, stay safe so and out of trouble. So first question is from Lel Robinson and this came in via Facebook and it was great to the point. Someone just told me your body can only absorb 30 grams of protein a day. So high protein diets are a waste of time. In brackets, she is a vegan, exclamation mark. This is this lady's um, comments, not mine. Um, Is this true? Well, firstly, absolutely categorically, no. You can't just absorb 30 grams of protein a day. That's somebody knowing half of even half of the facts. You can probably absorb around 30 grams of protein in any one sitting. And generally, you'll see doses of... uh, protein shakes uh sometimes recovery drinks so they don't tend to maximize the protein in it often meals for pro athletes you'll see they'll have maybe 30 even 40 grams of protein as part of a meal generally the average person when tested in like questionnaires and dietary research has about 15 percent of their daily calorie intake through protein but that doesn't appear to be enough so unfortunately lel your vegan friend is absolutely incorrect there are different ways to get protein but your body can take 30 grams of protein at multiple points across the day and many moons ago i wrote for and actually was uh i would have said learned a lot from being in uh bodybuilding magazines not personally me don't laugh don't laugh your head i know you're now laughing not me it's just painting an image the the things i the things that i was writing about particularly things like creatine whey protein the early stuff on colostrum and things like that but the bodybuilders would get like early you know literally get up first thing you know six o'clock in the morning protein eight 8.30, 8.30, protein. They would routinely be putting protein constantly in protein. Think of it as like backing up a lorry with building blocks, bricks even, and dropping them at a building site. Every time you do that, the bricks can be taken away and the bricks can be used. But you can't pile them all up in one go because they'll fall down. So you've got to do it in little doses and often. So she sort of has got it partly right. It's 30 grams, but it's 30 grams in any one dose. How often? Depends on the protein source, how much that source, if you like, is delivered. Because protein comes into the body and is broken down into the individual amino acids. And it depends on that digestion process and release, how long the amino acids are raised in the bloodstream. And then when you need to then take the next protein block. But typically you look at it, and it's often quoted at something like two and a half maybe three hours that's when somebody's trying to create an anabolic environment either trying to build not necessarily bigger muscles but more effective perhaps uh nervous system pathways perhaps recovery processes protein isn't just used for building muscle it's used in a pool and that pool is used for various uh, if you like uh jobs and therefore you don't just want to think, I've got 30 grams of protein. Also, you've got to look at high-quality protein because some proteins are poor in their composition of amino acids. They do not have the full spectrum. So I know there are generally people that talk about you know, certain vegans that are on you know, quite high-level performance levels and they're doing okay. 
but for the most part it is a very difficult juggling act to get right some people can but they've probably got an expert nutritionist and or they're a pro athlete with resources to do it when somebody just takes all uh, vegan relevant foods into their diet and throws everything out of their diet that's very difficult to get high quality protein you're going to say something then oh, about, a couple about of, your bodybuilding <laughs> prowess. prowess. I had a couple of points, and one of them was quality of protein, which you answered. You know, you already answered with that. The other one was to you as a counterpoint to this: why why would protein be important for us mere mortals that don't know? enough about nutrition really what's the advantages of protein and why would we need well, protein, it protein being the building blocks you you know have three very basic individual if you like those bricks that have been backed up to the to the building site some of those bricks have got to be energy bricks i.e carbohydrates some of them have got to be building bricks themselves to be laid down as muscle fibers enzymes um factors in the immune system and those are coming from protein and then you've got fats which again fats are used on the nerves they're used for padding around joints they're used as good energy sources and you know packed away for later so you need protein because it's building blocks and if you don't get sufficient protein there's some pretty solid research now showing that protein helps you to to transcribe the pro the if you like program that you're on the training into actual benefits if you went on a super low protein diet you would you would get fitter but the point is protein acts as not only as building blocks but as part of the signaling chain so in order that you train and get a benefit you've got to have regular protein and i think it's probably the most overlooked part of diet people can easily get gels and have fruit and eat their muesli in the morning and have their sandwiches or their rice or whatever they have so the carbs i.e., the fuel part is really easy but the quality protein part is often the missed bit but when you look at the the diets of clued up athletes pro and amateur they are regularly putting quality protein in there the the difficulty with certainly with vegan is that you've got rid of all animal sources of protein which is quite a lot of very high biologically active uh, protein sources so i'm not going to go down the route of what vegans should do that's for them to research but there is definitely a case of protein has been raised to a much higher level of significance and now something i read that was it was actually put out by uh one of the top uh, sky nutritionist was saying most athletes should be on at least two grams per kilo per day so you're looking at 150 grams for say an average size male so 150 grams over five meals is 30 grams in each meal so it's little and often and, and it's not just wait till the evening and have a you know have a state that can cover an a4 page of paper and think oh that's all my protein you've got to have little and often overdoing it with protein it's very difficult to turn protein into uh, fat stores because of what it is but overeating protein isn't a good thing you just want little and often dotted throughout the day and if you look at most of the drinks bars protein snacks they all vary between 21 and well, 20 to 30 grams yeah. per serving pretty much yeah. and yeah. that seems to be the balance between like you were saying splitting yeah. that that grammage up yeah. during the day as a shake or a bar yeah. or or something like and that. And the newer, the newer, while we're on sort of 
protein absorption, the newer research into evening protein drinks to enhance recovery have looked at in older athletes, it might be that you actually have to take 40 grams of protein in the evening for it to raise the amino acid levels uh, enough. I should, I've been sent something that says I should be getting some, uh, some like samples of evening stuff, some new stuff that's coming out that's evening based protein. And that would straight away go against this because you know, this person was saying, oh, can you only absorb 30 grams? Well, this particular product, which has been shown to improve recovery, has got 40 grams in it for master's athletes and 30 grams for younger athletes. So you're saying that the older the, older the athlete, the more important the protein... I think we, we have covered this yeah, before. We, we have, have covered yeah, this. Yeah. The, the older athlete tends to rely, master's athletes, and, and about tend to yeah. rely more on a dietary supplement of protein yes more than kind of carbohydrate based yeah predominantly yeah yeah, yeah. and it's, I mean, it's a good it's a good question because the question you know was was something that somebody with uh an opinion and maybe a slightly pigeonholed opinion just believes that you can only have 30 grams which is why they'd argue you don't need to i don't know eat meat or drink milk or have eggs or whatever they see but actually the little and often protein is vital and you can do it through lots of other sources but it is very difficult very very difficult to do and I get why people might go down the vegan route but it's not really it's not really the justification it's certainly not factually accurate the oh you don't really need proteins like sorry but the science would absolutely blow that you know that person's logic out the water whether they've got a viewpoint of animal husbandry and the ethics of things is completely different to the science shows that you can definitely improve performance through the right protein intake and again, and again all of us we're different we have different views on things we all have the I'm same not. views in real life of brian we're all different <laughs> i'm not we you know the place the earth would be a very very boring place so but brilliant question also the backup for that is you can actually do your own research but don't do us out of a job <laughs> yes absolutely. so if you've got a question like that just just drop it down on an email and we'll uh, we'll have a look at it this next one is from richard griffiths and it says morning joe it doesn't say morning crocker um but i'll explain why he says i recently came to the rotor talk you did at the bourbon center uh i got round to doing my ramp test but can't seem to find out how to view my mmp mmp he means maximum minute power i tend to sometimes call it ppo peak power output which is a peak aerobic power output but it's the concept of what the greatest one minute was at the end of your progressive ramp test okay and he said i used a gamma 520 i know roughly where it is based on the power i was trying to hit when the lights went out but was hoping for a more definitive and definitive answer any help much appreciated cheers rich now, if you are using the mobile app, it will give you the one minute power, won't it? It yeah. shows your, your various one minute, five minute, 20 minute, different uh, PPO durations. Also on the app, if you're on, say, Garmin Connect, 
done a ramp test, you look at the file, you can highlight the power and then you can click on the graph and you can select one minute and it will show you what the average of the one minute is. It will also show you where that occurred, which quite obviously is at the end of the session. The key thing is this is not one minute which you just warm up and then hammer it. This is the progressive test. You start at 100 watts, you go up 20 watts every minute and you just keep going. Uh, I actually said to Rich, you can, you can send me the, the file, but on Garmin Connect, click the power data and it expands downwards where it says maximum average power. And on the one minute power, that pops up and then tells you exactly what you've, what you've produced. Um, and he said, great, Joe, thanks. I couldn't seem to do it uh, with the Connect mobile app as there was no drop down box, but sorted it out on the laptop. Thanks very much. And the key is there, learn how to go in and out and around the software. Because sometimes there's amazing things when you start, even on the, the Zwift and on other things, you start tapping things. You're not going to ever break it, but you start tapping things. Oh, there's another function. Oh, what does that do? We don't, we don't need to overly analyze it, but it is worth getting that one minute power output when somebody does a ramp. Because what they'll assume is, oh yeah, I popped on the, I don't know, on the 340. And rarely do people actually do the last one that they think they've done often it is down a bit and it's not being pedantic it's just like what's the exact one minute don't guess it find out what it is and that can be i mean you can do it i've got a piece of software on my mac called iSmart train and i can just open it up and it'll show me on a, any power file it'll show me a power versus time curve and I can just move along and say right you want to know how much you held for five minutes in that race and it'll tell you five minutes you could drag it to five seconds you could drag it up to what was the average over five hours on a power curve you can see and clearly it starts very high in a few seconds and then drops down depending on the type of effort you've done that curve differs if you haven't done much of a hard effort but you've held a very high constant number then you would see it all in one area and, and most of this stuff you learn by tinkering oh pretty much you do yeah. unless you hit the delete button and then it says do you want to delete and you've hit yes again <laughs> it might be a little bit of an issue but yeah. most of the things that you see graph wise information wise whether it be swift garmin yeah, I use, um, I've also got Sunto that I use yeah. for, for running and, and walking. So there, there's plenty of information there that you could look at, that you could grasp. Yeah. But it's just having a little bit of a tinkle I'll, I'll with pop, it. So. When we put this podcast out, I'll pop out, I thought this would be relevant, various pictures that relate to this. And that one of Rich's graph would, would, make, uh, would make sense. But it is important that it's a progressive increase. It's not, oh, I've seen more than that when I've done... Uh, I've seen more than that when I've done, uh, you know, a race or I went really hard at the end and I got X watts. This has got to be produced on a minute by minute increase of effort. 25 watts every, 25 watts every minute? I'm trying to think. Watts. 20 watts every minute. Yeah. 100, 120, 140, etc. And what you're looking to do is to just almost be failing but then go on to the next one. At, at some point you start a workload thinking, I can't do this, I can't do this, but you might be able to survive and that might push up your uh, peak power. And I'll put a graph that I showed Rich and other people at the Rotor Talk at, at the Bourbon Centre, this, this picture of, of multiple efforts to do peak power. And they all land in 
20 watt window and therefore you do eventually get to the number and unless there's something massively changed and you want to check that your power system is measuring the same as the old one or there's been a huge layoff an injury something's happened to your leg maybe you do want to retest but for the most part the number is what the number is and although you could beat that significantly by warming up and hammering a one out sorry one minute all out effort it's got to be in a ramp test and that's where it can floor people because they're like oh i've seen higher than that for a minute when i was cranking up a hill in a sportif uh, or I sprinted my friend and we went flat out and we got higher it's it's a different measure of it it's your peak aerobic power and it's key to make sure that we define it right and then you can see what the difference is between your peak power there are quoted I'll put the other uh, what's it called a uh, slide out that showed you know the the one hour power for Miguel Indurain when he did the hour record, the Chris Borman one hour power, uh, I could even put out Martin Crocker's one hour power, but I don't think he's done it very often. I was going to say, I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't bother. <laughs> but that's did the you go under the hour? Yes. Did you? Well, theoretically, no. <laughs> oh, theoretically. Oh, theoretically. Oh, well, the, it, it, no couldn't be, it couldn't be more of an hour if it was an hour. So absolutely bang on. Was it to the second? D- d- absolutely, all zeros. One zero 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 zero. Lordy lord! Oh, you've got to get that file out. Not if I. Not if I couldn't do it if I tried again ever. Yeah, no, no. I have gone under the hour. Yes, thank you. Okay, just checking. Fifty-seven forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the good thing. Was it short again. Was well, <laughs> it way short? The things with tests. Tests aren't there to trip you up. They're there to give you a measure of yeah. your current yeah. ability at that time. They're a reality think, check, aren't they? I, and most of the time it is a reality check. So you are looking at this file going, that can't be right. That can't be right. That's, mm. I'm 30, 40 watts out. It's, it is what it is at mm. that time. Mm. I mean, it, it's not something that you then go back and redo every month on the month, mm. you know, the first of every month, redo it and go, oh, see, look, I am better. I am better now. Yes, you will do when you're in, you know, when you're training yeah. properly and, and you're ramping your training up. Um, but I think people get a little bit bogged down with tests mm. and go, oh, no, I think I'm going to redo it in a couple of weeks' time when I've had mm. a rest. That figure is what it is. Do you know what? There was something that came out last night. There was one of the journals, which I'll be referring to in a minute, the International Journal of uh, Sports performance and physiology i think it is ijspp anyway they put out something that basically said that they were analyzing what had made the careers of pro athletes get to where they were what type of racing what were they doing at 18 what what level were they at world champs etc etc and the number that that really came out was they then subdivided them into sort of world-class riders and just I think just national level riders, the world-class riders had to have, I think it was 530 watts or above as a, as a peak uh, ramp test power. Now they did quote that as a watts per kilo. And I think it was 6.5 or something like that. Cause you can't just quote that because for a smaller rider, it would, it would be significantly less, but for an average rider, it was five. I'm sure it was five thirty. for the ones that didn't make the grade at world-class level. I think it was something like four sixty, four seventy, which is still, you know, there was still 
not many athletes I've tested that have got 460, 470. So they're good, but they're just not good enough. And based on that, you know, this is like, well, look, that's the pecking order and that's how it is. And I think that worked out at something in the region of, say, it might have been 6.2 and the best people were 6.7. Again, I can find that exact piece of research and put a picture out of it. But it basically said, this is what they got. And there were certain experience levels they needed to be racing at. The ones that got better race more, or was it that they race more because they were good and they got into more races? You know, it's like, how and why did you get into races? But there, was, there wasn't there was like, oh yes, some of the best people never made the grade. If they had the watts per kilo, they made the grade. And in a sense, that's what, you know, somebody will do 360 and they'll go, well, surely, they, surely they can't do 200 watts more than that. It's like, Yes, they can. Actually, Miguel Endurain did 140 watts more than that for an hour. So that's the way it works. It'd be be like dyno testing a car, isn't it, effectively, to see, you know, maybe an old car, say, let's just put it at that, just to see if you've still got the, they've still got the oomph in the engine, or a brand new car Mm. that's had a little tweak that they want to see what size engine. Mm. 1,600 engines is 1,600 engines. Yeah. Yeah. can't. it, it can't theoretically do the, the power that are two litre. No, I would say the biggest, the biggest change from, I was trying to work out when I did my first time trial. I'll find it out. I know I was training for, I reckon I was training for an Ironman. It was just prior to that. So I reckon I'd have been about 19 or 20, maybe, maybe something like that, but wouldn't have done the times that I can do now probably was able to put out the same amount of power because I can see what I max tested in 89, 90, which is pretty much bang on what I can do now. So it's like the only difference has been the technology in a sense. And that's where a lot of people, particularly when it comes to the sort of part of the equation of, oh, but I only got 320 and my mate got 360. Okay, well, you've got to be 40 watts wiser then. You've got to be able to outthink them, use better technologies, know the right tyre pressure, know the right course, know how to ride into the wind better, know your aerodynamics. You can probably beat them or maybe you're a better runner or maybe in a time trial you'll just get you know get the uh, the pacing better but it's 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 not absolute it obviously comes down to a pecking order the fastest people have got some of the most amazing sets of numbers when it comes to uh, athletic ability it's no real oh well they're just they're just pretty normal but they push hard no 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 absolutely not they've got exceptional ability and therefore they would be pushing themselves hard, but they're starting with the V8. If you're in a V4, I'm sorry, but you can't beat the V8. It's just hands down. It's a different, it's why, it's a, it's why this piece of research was quite, and I thought that when you said, because I've been reading through a load of things yesterday, just like soaking it up, looking at the relevance of different things. There was stuff on nitrate. There was stuff on every, every kind of sport possible. But the thing that jumped out was these numbers. Yeah, the best ones were 530, I think it's 533. And I think the, the, the sort of not world-class ones were something like 460, 470, which that is, is a, still... That is a hell of a chunk, really. Yeah. Isn't it? It's a hell yeah. of a chunk different. Yeah. Um, all right, I suppose some of it can come down in a race down to racecraft but once you start going uphill and uh, and then they start to, the, the big watts start to come in then i suppose it's uh, it's more essential then to know your uh, know your engine and how to train so yeah and but, it's not it's not trying to be too i don't know trying to be too sort of fatalistic about it because people can get a bit down and it's like no don't you know don't 
don't think you can just train yourself as good as you want to be. Train yourself and see how good you can be. Get your, get your best, see what your best can be. But there's no way that it's just, you know, it's just who can, who can actually train themselves and, and uh, outwit other people. It's really important to keep, keep it relevant to the fact that when you are doing sport, it isn't just about can you possibly win? Because if you have got that attitude, to be honest, you better have the, the minerals, as you say. Because you can't say, oh, I'm going to just out, you know, out, out, out you know, out effort people. No, because everyone else is putting out high effort. It, it's very, very obvious that there is a, you know, there is a, um, there's a pecking order, but there's, don't worry, there's huge quantities of people that with very good talent break themselves or fail to actually really ever execute a good race or fail to ever enjoy executing a good race. And always it's just out of reach, at which point they'll never be happy. If they, if they get a PB, oh yeah, but I reckon I could have gone faster. At which point you think, well, okay, prove it. I don't mind people proving it, but I hate people said, oh yeah, but I'm actually, I'm actually better than my PBs. We can't be. <laughs> you know, you are your PBs. Chris Bourbon didn't say, no, I want 56. Really, I sort of done 57. He said, that's the world record. That's what stands. And I think it's important to be... Be a bit number orientated because you can't get away from the fact there are certain numbers that do control some of the parameters. It's not just physics and you just outwit physics, but it's, it's trying to get the most out of yourself. And if you can get that eureka moment where something really works for you well and it makes sense scientifically and, and if you like logically, then that can be a greater gain than, oh, somebody else is, you know, somebody else has got a bigger VO2 or somebody else has done more sport than me or whatever it's like well do whatever you can do try and try and be your best who knows where that can take you to the top hopefully to the to the top i like that take it to the top i was going to see while we were actually chatting if i could see the uh particular um uh what's it called the, the particular piece of uh research uh, gump that came in but I can't find it but it's, it's IJSPP and I'll, I'll put the research out I'm going to do this one quite quickly because this is one from from uh, Simon Gill from Tenerife again and it's another autobiography so I'm going to be super quick on this one he says hi Joe and Crocker thank you for my question on the last podcast follow up first half Ironman March average power 309 and he ran a Ran four minutes four per kilometer on a fast course. Uh, standalone half marathon, it's 3.52. So, yeah, a little bit slower, but people are, people are, are slower. Second half Ironman, two weeks later. So that's quite tight racing. Two weeks later to do another, another half Ironman. This time, the, the bike power wasn't 3.09, it's 3.11. Well, that's sure as hell damn the same number as far as I'm concerned. You, you can't stop worrying about twos and threes. It's it's basically the same thing, um, but overcooked the bike. It was a calculated gamble. Tried to win my age group, but this time instead of four oh four, ran four twelve, uh, and second in age group. To be honest, even easier on the bike, and a faster run would have given me the same result because the guy was a faster runner. So I get that. Sometimes you've got to play with your with your strengths. In the lands of watching Ironman, this time average pass two three eight. So for those that remember in the numbers, we started at three oh nine three eleven. But now it drops down to two three eight on the on the Ironman. So normally somebody's Ironman or half Ironman is done at about sixty five percent of of peak power. So this would give 
assuming the numbers are all correct, this would give Simon, you know, we're talking a, a, a max test of something around 500 if he's working to the right percentage. Okay, which, which seems really, really big numbers, but I think we established last time he was a bigger athlete. So um, big numbers, but maybe a bigger athlete as well. Uh, this was a five-hour ride this time. And he said, and I'll go into the detail now, legs felt heavy within one to two hours on the bike at what was normal training wattage. I think my taper was, was too long and my body had switched off. Uh, everything felt hard. Perceived effort didn't relate to the watts at all. But yes, I was a slave to the numbers and kept pushing. I actually turned the power screen off as it was just depressing me, but continued to push stupidly to try and get as close to my aim bike split. It was just under six hours, uh, half an hour slower than I'd hoped. And I stupidly still killed myself to get to get it. Consequently, the run was 5.29 per kilometer. Uh, my plan was to do five minutes per kilometer, blah, 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 blah. So I'll get nearer to the end. Um, I've never done a time trial. Uh, there aren't any in Tenerife. Uh, interested to hear you suggest 55% of peak power output for the Ironman. I think 260, 270 average, average watts would be a big ask. Scarily hard. Um, as I mentioned, there's 2,000 meters of mountain here. So normalized power is always good. 20 to 30 beats higher than average on hilly rides. I'm doing Ironman knees this year and as a lot of climbing as well as I usually race and train on normalized power. I take your guideline for normalized power is not average power or perhaps I should go for a targeted heart rate. What heart rate would you suggest for me? So that's the first part of the answer I'll get to in a moment, which is the suggested heart rate. I know you spoke about Aaron on the side of the caution on the bike leg and that dropping watts 10 to 20 only loses uh, a few seconds. Sorry, only loses four, five, maybe six to eight minutes. But certainly a half Ironman, I feel I'm never going that much quicker off the bike to make up for so many minutes lost in inverted commas. In Ironman, I really didn't enjoy Lanzarote, so want to err on the side of caution for Nice, but I still don't want to, to the balance to be overly cautious so I can't catch up the time given on the bike. To qualify for something like Kona, it may come down to something like a couple of minutes difference between me and other people. Thanks for the insight, Simon. I mean, there's a lot of technical detail, and clearly at a high level, for some people, this you know, the amount of numbers and stuff goes way beyond what they what they do in their racing. They're, they're trying to guide themselves. I think you can work out what ends up being a, a reasonable uh, guideline for somebody's power level in Ironman. Interestingly, you know, on the flat half Ironman 310, let's say average, and I think it's the difference between normalized and average is it's only like six, seven beats. So using one or the other is, to my mind, is neither here nor there. Because if you're riding quite smooth, they get very close to one another anyway. All that happens is normalized ends up being greater. I don't know whether that's why people want to quote it, but normalized isn't isn't what you've done. Average is the average of what you've actually done. You know, it's actually what you normalized is 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 not that way. When I took the numbers, I come up with a slightly higher number for the prediction on Iron Man if I take it from his half Iron Man. It comes up at something like 280. And Simon actually said that, you know, um that it would be uh 260, 270 average would be a big ask. So maybe over the half Ironman, he is just pushing a slightly higher percentage. And sometimes people can push 
for maybe the duration is only just over two hours. So it's not too damaging to be at a higher percentage. Because obviously as people get faster, the percentage can go up a bit, very slightly, because they're out there for less time. Makes sense? Somebody's yeah. out there yeah, three yeah. hours and somebody's out there two hours ten. Of course, a two-hour ten person can push a few percent harder and the perceived impact of that is is equal. If somebody pushes at the same percentage but does it for longer or shorter, you've obviously got a difference in the in the fatigue factor. But that would point towards actually the half Ironman is a little bit harder. And maybe the thing about particularly Lanzarote is, you know, it is a it's a very hilly course that might not work to Simon's strengths. I know he said, you know, he's, he, he lives on Tenerife, but that doesn't mean he excels up the hills like other people do. So it may be that the flatter course in the half Ironman works well in his favour. I can't remember, but I, I think he was, was he 85 kilos? I'm trying to think what we spoke about last time. It was something like that. I'm, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was 85 kilos, which would be, you know, just over three watts a kilo for the Ironman bike leg, which is, you know, which is solid. But once you start running, you've got to move that 85 kilos run wise. And therefore he's always probably slightly better to air, not, not smash the bike, but air on the upper percentage of what he knows he can do. And he's actually said the 262.70, you know, actually says that uh, that might be, you know, a big ask. But maybe it's just the perception of what that's like. It's actually keeping really close to that number, not kind of there, stay there. Because the damage comes when 260 becomes 280 and you go back up to, to half Ironman level. Push it at half Ironman level briefly no, that's what you do for half Ironman. You can't do that in the middle of an Ironman. But also, do you think sometimes that, you know, a, a bad day is just a bad day? Um, regard, I mean, I know, I know the figures are there to, to, to kind of contradict that, but, you know, sometimes having that maybe not all coming together tends to play on, on one's mind a little bit and then being able to adjust those figures on the fly... Like is it Simon said that he turned his turned his screen off come the end? Was it turned off because it just wasn't going to happen anyway? Yeah. So here we go. So uh, the bit I missed out. Highest FTP was three was three seventy a test in the season, and he actually said I did a ramp test and I got to four eight one, and I said I reckon it was five hundred. The difference there would be then if he did the half Ironman at. 200 sorry 310 then the 310 you divide that by the 481 so he's actually working at 64 percent on the bike which is you know you can you can i've, I've said 60 to 65 percent a half iron man 55 to potentially 60 percent but 60 percent uh for most people on the iron man is just Again, that's 280. That's a bit harder than what he's saying. So nobody does the Ironman at the same pace that they do a half Ironman. And he's thinking he might have to drop to four, sorry, 260, 270. But the numbers do equate now. I didn't see that 480, but I took his half Ironman, divided it by 0.65 and got 400. And he's actually saying he did 481. But again, we're within 20 watts. 500, yeah. You know, and, and I think the, the thing you've really got to watch, and I, I get it, you know, why he wants to qualify. I get how motivated people are. God, I've seen this, done it, been there. I know about this. But 
there does come a point where, where people become real slaves to these numbers. You know, if, if it really is the, you know, the end important thing in the world on the planet to do, it may be, but sometimes people that relax somewhat and know roughly how much they got to do, they use it as a reference point, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's even more effort put into their, their fueling, their aerodynamics, you know, how relaxed they can stay on the bike and all of that. Clearly you've got, a very good very good engine like i said but 480 I, I can only think of two people i've ever tested above that so you know good engine good ability but still restricted to percentages that other people are it's just as a bigger number and actually if he's a bigger athlete he takes um takes more uh you know more more movement if you like to to get the air out of the way i don't know quite what the speed was for well, i suppose if six hours was for lanzarotti then the the speed the speed there would have been 18.6 i also like simon's been honest as well and just said yeah he 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 wanted to stick to a particular program it didn't happen kept going it didn't happen in his own words you know maybe he could have kind of backed off it turned the screen off and then just kept pushing what he's done is adapted to the situation hmm. um i i think you have to be you have to be adaptable as an athlete when you're when your figures probably look a bit you know they're, they're not looking good or they're not as good as you you want them to be on race day as an athlete i think you've got to be totally adaptable and just go look this ain't going to happen today it's a complete pain in the posterior that it's happening now. Why couldn't it have happened when I did my last training ride? Simon's also written down bullet points of which he thinks it might have all gone a little bit mm, south. Yeah. And he will learn from that, judging by the fact that he's, he's good with his figures. He's, he's quite straight down the line with it. So that can only help with a better performance in his next Ironman or half Ironman. So good, good a nice group of figures there as well that kind of helps us paint and a picture. I think and Joe, you, what you heard Joe doing was tapping on the calculator, just trying to work out the yeah, uh, what, work out the, the facts and figures with it. No, if you're doing three ten for two and a bit hours, I don't see that actually backing off. You go from three ten to two sixty, two seventy. I mean that's fifty watts, fifty watt drop. I mean that's like somebody taking the you know taking. A huge amount of pressure when you drop from that 65 to 55 point and that's 10 percent of your capacity that's that's massive now it might be the duration that then starts to kick in is it you know the fueling for the longer ride requires more fuel and you can sort of partly get away with it in half iron man and the thing about putting out 260 watts is that that's over a thousand calories an hour so you've got the conundrum of athletes possibly needing uh, high carb, maybe even starting to take on board fats as well to really bolster the amount of fuel that's going into the body because that 1,000 calories an hour is why the elites have got... You know, there's great pictures of Norman Stadler the year he won Hawaii and he had like 20 odd gels down his top tube and he just rip each one and take it and that's what he had he wasn't he wasn't super talented he could do the Ironman on just oh no water for me no he had his gels and it was it was a real adamant thing every time you know the the, 
the time it went off either in his head or on his bike, that's it, another gel, another gel, another gel. And you, you look at, they're often in the, the 60, maybe even sometimes up to 80 grams an hour. So they have to take the fuel in. And maybe one of the conundrums with the longer races is that you've got to learn to hold the percentage, but more importantly, to get the fuel in to cover the losses because you're you're getting rid of you know a thousand calories an hour that basically means two and a half hours on his bike and he's used more calories than most people do in a non-training day in two and a half hours he's used up what you use in a whole day and that's wow that's a lot of yeah what's however you look at it what's equate to to calories so some of the smaller athletes i've had people do ironman off of you know 120 130 watts and actually do do quite okay i've had people go into the you know five hour area and be at 140 150 watts but they're small athletes so they carve through the air conversely somebody that's big you've got higher rolling resistance and you've got a lot more air to move out of the way um yes you've got a bigger engine but you've also got a bigger chassis to move through the air? It's a good question. I know it's very technical and I don't want to go too far into it, but I think my numbers, his numbers, they sort of say the same thing, but racing's about, you know what? You can't you can't do it to the letter. Sometimes it won't be 310 on a half, 300 feels right. And if you go that bit harder, no, leave it for the leave it for the run because that extra 10 watts gives you more energy for the for the run. So it's it's racing after all. And it doesn't come down to an exact number. I think that's the thing. There's, there's ballpark figures. And there are people that do do it on feel, but they're pretty rare. A lot of people do it off of heart rate. And I think in Ironman, the more you can be up a zone one, you don't really want to go into zone two. Because by definition, if you're starting to create slightly more lactate, you've gone above the two millimole point, then what's happening is that lactate isn't coming out of thin air. It's showing you're disproportionately using carbohydrate. And that's the disadvantage of going into zone two in training. You disproportionately use carbs, but you're not getting any better training effect from your base work. Also, if you're in a long race, the more you go over that Z1 limit into zone two, you've now started to bang into your carbs and they're going to run out no matter what your fe- feeding is. Yeah. That's a good question. I like that. I like the Simon's written quite, quite a you comprehensive that one is, list. This, this one, this one is, but it, it was good from the figures and the background that we've had from Simon before. So he's good. And even from that, Simon's got a good engine, a big engine, but even he, has to kind of manage the figures and manage the engine to do the distance but that was brilliant yeah this one's this one's a, a slightly slightly different one um again this is a short and sweet one this is another one from lel robin um lel robson i should say or by facebook and it says does a shorter crank help particularly short people so crank being the crank or chain set on a bike, do shorter cranks help shorter people? Well, most bikes, I will say, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, most bikes are specced with cranks that are proportional to the bike. To the size of the bike, yeah. And I know why she brings it up, because she did a bike fit. Okay, yeah. She had a small, and it had 170s on it. And I said, that's a little bit long it's possible it's it's rideable it's not it's not ultimately the reason that it uh doesn't feel right it was more about the reach of the bike was the biggest biggest difference of all of all factors but what would you say the it's really difficult now because you have unisex 
and you have ladies and you have gents. So the ladies' bikes still seem to be specced. So as a small ladies' bike, you would yep. assume now... 165 is quite ladies, unusual. Can we use the word men and women's bikes? Yeah, so female-specific bikes. Oh, fe- female there specific we go, female-specific bikes. They all seem, even though the smalls and extra smalls seem to still come with 170 cranks. 165 and a 160 crank is, is, is quite rare to have on a stock bike, in, is it? in inverted commas. Oh, okay. uh, it, it has started to come through now, but... <laughs> Does it ultimately solve a problem, or does it create a problem to have Ooh, I never that thought size about that. crank? Tell me what problem it might create, then, Martin. Well, most Go of on, it is us. down. Most of it's down to kind of the uplift of the pedal stroke, isn't it, from the length of the crank and you know the, the throw over as well, how high the knee can can come up, um, the smaller circles that you can spin with a shorter crank. Tell me, is the knee bone connected to the leg bone, and is the leg bone connected, connected to, to the, the ankle bone? And the thigh bone we missed out from the top. Um, so, for instance, mountain biking. Most of the mountain bike cranks now tend to be 175s. Do they? Some are 170s. Right. Very rarely do they have a 172.5 on a yeah. mountain bike. Yeah. We've tried, we've tried and tested having, with smaller wheels, so the, the old 26-inch wheels, we started to use smaller cranks. Didn't really work. Um, you needed the leverage from the 175s to okay. be able to. Yeah. And now that we've gone up to w- bigger wheel sizes, we found that some of the shorter cranks do actually work. The 170s tend to work a little bit better. Now, as far as the road bikes go, a lot of the pros seem to be going for shorter cranks, regardless of their size. Right. Now, you'll be the one to bat this back to because there has to be some form of scientific evidence somewhere along the lines on how that rider or how particular riders ride uh, to do with power or is it all just personal feeling but back to the original question a lot of the female specific bikes tend to come with 170s and that seems to be the shortest off the shelf i think there is a well shimano for instance wouldn't make 160 165 170 cranks if there wasn't a market for it i have actually seen 150s and 155s so there must be some some form of market for it as far as an aero point of view to kind of smack this one back to you joe does are we looking at with these shorter cranks an advantage of comfort an advantage of power an advantage of aerodynamics well, when you look at it, if that whole 172 and a half... Sure, I've dodged that question massively. <laughs> yeah, 172 and a half is like... That's standard. Uh, yeah, but it's sort of neither here nor there. So if you go from 172 and a half, and I've got a bike with 175s, 172 and a half, you don't even notice the difference. It's two and a half mils at the, if you like, top of the pedal stroke, two and a half mils at the bottom. So the, the total diameter is only five mils bigger. And then you get bigger and bigger bigger jumps and i wonder that firstly you can adapt to it now you can find a problem some people are on the bike wrong and the legs might come up a bit high but it may be that it's the proportions of their legs it may be that how they pedal i've been from 180s i've never gone below 170s just because i've never had a bike that's been spec 165s but between 180s old school and 170s it's all pretty much been the same and i think you can overthink what it's doing and then people are like, oh i need to get smaller cranks because it's going to make me more aero and it's like really so smaller cranks you have to take the saddle up 
And supposedly you can then bend further at the waist. Well, I, I, I might be in a minority, but I don't think my limit is, is whether I can bend at the waist because of the crank leg or crank coming up and the leg coming up. It's more how flexible I am. And not many people need to be really, really, really super low. You can get in a very good position without having to have an extreme position. So I'm not, I'm, I'm unconvinced as such that the short cranks and aerodynamics works. Because actually, if you wanted to make the person lower, you'd go for shorter or lower bottom brackets. At which point you could ride shorter cranks on a lower bottom bracket and you'd be slightly closer to the ground. But we're only talking a few mils. I mean, if somebody's way off, if this lady had 175 mil cranks on her bike, I'd be like, right, that's too long. You are, you know, your leg proportion to your, um, you know, bike size is not right. You're going to find the cranks come up a very long way and therefore it's just going to come up too high. Most of the time it seems to be, apart from the move more towards probably i'm not going to say they're shorter cyclists but you could get shorter cranks years ago they were just slightly rarer but you could get it but there was never a case that the cycle industry used to take many people's sizes into consideration the only consideration was your frame size and you roughly worked out what that was and if you were lucky or you bought one second hand it's the right size that was it seat posts had very little uh it sort of difference in in height or size because most of it was down to the to the frame stems people only started playing with long stems to get the more stretched out aero position but most of the bike was you fitted that bike the bike didn't fit you you fitted the bike and things have changed things have changed now with modern technology so you can get a bike down from an extra extra small all the way up to an extra extra large right and the the bar width the stem length um and the crank length will be dictated to by the size of that bike so yeah. obviously an extra extra large will have the longest the widest uh, the longest stem longest cranks longest bar, uh, widest bars the smallest bike would have the shortest cranks slightly shorter stem and, and narrower bars so that that part of the that part of kind of the cycling industry has now mm. that part has been recognized and yeah. it's like yes you know not everybody wants a 172.5 on an extra large or an extra small I'm yet to see anything that says that these shorter cranks help. And I think it was Adam Hansen, I'm, I'm pretty sure as a pro cyclist, used to run something quite, quite a tall chap, used to run something like a 170 or a 165. I think it, I think it was him, crank-wise. And his was just the fact that he, for a tall chap, he used to, his cadence was relatively high. Right. Uh, he just found it. Found it to be more comfortable. Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go down this rabbit hole with the, you know, oh, the, you know, the, the key to my peak power, my pacing, my, my whatever is going to be getting short cranks. I mean, if there are biomechanical problems, then by all means, look, look to cranks and get expert input. But. I'm not going to say it's a red herring, but I think some people can overthink this. Oh, I've got 170s. Would I be better 172 and a half? Well, I tell you what, let's blindfold you, ride two bikes, and you even tell me what the difference is. That's the thing. Because you couldn't find it. I think th- I think there's other things to be looking at yes. first. Yeah, because within the height of your socks, what shoe you're wearing that day, if you've got different shoes, what pedals you've got between bikes, whether they are... Um, like this lady had like very what I'd call stacked pedals because they were two-sided sort of yep. almost like SPD pedals. So straight away, 
Okay, that happens at the top and the bottom of the stroke, but that whole circle was moved up based on the actual clearance of the shoes. So people don't even realize they're pedaling in the circle, but that circle can vary in height where it is in relation to the bottom bracket, just based on what amount of shoe stack and socks, etc., etc., that you've got. Oh, yeah, because a normal SPD cleat, as far as a metal two bolt cleat, is normally around about four mil, and then a Shimano three bolt cleat is seven mil. So you have got quite a bit of yeah. mill difference there. Yeah. So, yeah, there's other areas to look at. I am a big fan of these metrics changing according to bike size. Yes. It just makes, from our point of view, uh, from a shop's point of view, as fitting makes it a lot easier to be able to do it because everything is a bit more proportional. I'll jump in between the questions and say, I've just found that piece of research... While you would, I don't know what you're joining on about. You were on about cranks or something a minute ago. I can't remember. <laughs> but but hang on a this minute. is this what, is what this journal is, is it from? This is from the International Journal of Sports Physiology and Performance. But here's the scary thing. I was right. 533 watts. My brain remembers figures. The other one was 533, and they were 6.9. Right. But the ones that didn't make world tour were 451. And they were 6.2 watts per kilo. Okay. So that difference, 0.7 of a watt per kilo, was the, uh, the, the difference, one of, those, one of those things that it said. And I'll, I'll read you the, the precise writing, which says, World Tour athletes had significantly higher maximal aerobic power at aged 18 than the athletes who did not reach World Tour level. 533 watts versus 451 or 6.9 watts per kilo versus 6.2 watts per kilo and the conclusion of this overall study was already at junior level there were performance and physiological differences distinguishing those that later became world tour riders in other words what you've said all along if you ain't got the minerals you ain't got the minerals now a question that this could be a whole other podcast on its own now this is actually a proper question yeah i, I can do that now. at what point yes at what point you're not gonna ask does... me about the birds and the bees because while we're recording i cannot tell you as far as human performance goes can, uh, have we hit a ceiling with watts per kilo i'm chopping at my hand <laughs> that's probably the noise you can hear so at what point do we get to where we can turn around as sports lovers this is this is this is coming from my my brain as well as my heart, I suppose, as far as sport goes. At what point can we start believing in a performance when the watts per kilo? I've I've read an article. Joe Joe <laughs> hates me doing this without no, without pre discussion. No. Joe hates Joe thinks I can't read anyway. But beside the point, I now I have, say I've that. read. I just don't think you read an article. You go go. Oh, I saw the word science in that article. Science and the word six point five watts per kilo. I've read an article that says that anything between 6.5 to 6.7 watts per kilo is believable. Anything after that becomes maybe a slightly fueled engine. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, there's, there's got to be eventually certain numbers where you go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a, that's a bit off the Richter scale. But, but, you know, these were saying that 18 years of age, some of these guys were doing 533 watts. So they clearly had engines that 
Now, I've said to people, if you, you, know, if you want to be a pro athlete, that they're already finding them now. They don't suddenly at 26 say, oh, I want to be a pro athlete. I can't, I can't be bothered to you know, work in finance or drive the bus or whatever I do for a job. I can't be bothered to do that. I'm going to become a pro athlete. Athletes make jumps across sports, but they don't, they don't do it suddenly later. You've got to have, or if they did, and somebody went, why don't you use your talent? And go and do it. But who, who's actually said, oh, no, I'm going to sit in a bar. Why would I want to win the Tour de France? I'm going to sit in a bar instead and watch it. I mean, let's be honest. If you had the talent, you'd be there going, of course. game With on. With bells on. Well, you have got the talent. You've been on the podium. I should, God. Not without what. But we've got a young lad that we sponsor. How many, how many minutes of that, of that mountain bike race did you do 533 watts? Can we? Uh, can you send me your data file? Because I'll find out for how many seconds you, you did it, five... I'd be lucky to... I would lucky to clear <laughs> 10 seconds, I reckon. But, oh, I was going to say five. Oh, uh, uh, well, yeah, right. Seven? <laughs> meet in the middle, seven and a half. A young lad that we sponsored. Now, British Cycling, and he's ridden for GB in the uh, Youth Olympics as well, right. uh, coming home with a, a combined bronze, which is absolutely fantastic. Now... We know his figures at 16, 17. And they, they, they are big figures. Yeah. And you would just go, he's like 16, 17 years old. So it's not like he's just come along and gone, yeah, I'm a pretty good racer. He's got that engine now. Yes. You know, that engine is now slowly being nurtured by the, you know, the guys at British Cycling and Team GB. They, they know his figures and he is one of a very few that have been selected. So that f- those figures haven't just popped up in the last kind of couple of months where they've gone, oh, actually, he's, he seems to have got quite yeah, a big... Yeah. He's always had that engine. Yeah. It just needs a little bit of tuning now. So And that's that, that's that... I know we've sort of said it before, but that's that sort of argument for somebody that says, oh, I really want to take it serious and, and see what I can do. Well, yeah, 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 absolutely. Give, you know... 110 yeah yeah i love it you know i'm sure these guys that did 450 would have liked another 10 percent to take them up to 490 but they still would have been short and that's that's kind of you know that that's the good and the bad things about all the things that get measured is there's no longer pseudoscience of people you know we had the oh you can only earn, you know absorb 30 grams of protein in a day and then you get people sort of throw numbers out or, or, or claim things. And actually, I'm not surprised by the, the, the data on those juniors. It's just that it's another instance of saying, look, look, look at this number. This is another instance of saying, look, this is the science of 18-year-old athletes. And this is the reality of it. If they want to be pro riders, yes, they, you know, they've got to have an ambition and they can, they can work hard. But if they don't come up with those numbers try as they much they cannot make the grade and that might be the unfortunate reason why some athletes do very briefly say it why they do dope is that they unfortunately want more watts than is naturally given to them but we won't go down the doping route question there's another question this one (laughs) this one's going to take a bit of going through it's an interesting one so i think we'll, we'll, we'll do this one so this is from simon jelly and he does motorsport but he also does triathlon and He's done some Ironmans and six Ironmans, and he says, and I'll read I recognize it all. Simon's name, actually. I'll read it all in full. My involvement in triathlon came about as I was trying to make training for motorsport more interesting. I then got sucked into the sport and completed many triathlons, 
standalone marathons just under three hours Ironman 10.46 he did Bolton quicker last year but it was a short bike as he makes very clear Uh, represented GB uh, anyway uh, wife, two children, nine to five job. Triathlon is not even my primary sport. It is, however, part of training for what I consider my profession. Profession that fails to pay well. Thus, I have a nine to five job. <laughs> I like that. It's quite a funny way of looking at it. Because there are some people that want to be pro athletes, and if you haven't got the numbers that we talked about the kiddies earlier, you you can't do it. You can you can you know scab your way through getting the odd pro star and be you know be an hour behind the winner you're like that's not really a pro if you're an hour behind the winner you're into the good age groupers you're not a, you're not a good you're not a good pro but he's been very funny and i like i like how he's how he's written it for 2019 i'm scaling back which is a relative term i have my motorsport program as normal 10 weekends a year and for triathlon i'm concentrating on 70.3 in shorter events closer to home i'm trying to combine triathlon races with family weekends away and uh, I want to be competitive short events, but Ironman seems to require too much training to do anything longer, uh, to do anything other than, than actually complete them. I've been looking at ways of making training more interesting and fun, especially at this time of year, but want to make sure it's still effective. In general, I'm backing down the hours spent away from home, so this may mean using the turbo a bit more when the others are in bed for my base work instead of using family time uh, my lunch times are mine as i can't get home see the family so i'm doing some gym work or i run but when i take time off i want to try some different things that i find fun but will still feel i'm getting a benefit when i started to go to derby velodrome on a sunday for their coach sessions which i enjoy which is also late evening when the kids are in bed uh, doing the club swim session once a week i've just started playing five side football the velodrome and the swims are normally all smash fests, whereas the football is interesting and my heart rate never seems to go above zone one. The pitch is so small, even though there are short bursts, my heart rate never goes up enough, uh, which is interesting to turn it. I do ache in the morning, so something is happening. Yes, my mates think I'm odd with a heart rate monitor. It makes me think, could I take this approach into the regular season and keep the interest level high but still be competitive? In the same way as a triathlete can turn up at a cross-country or, say, a bike race with less mileage in their individual disciplines but still remain competitive. And what other sports, especially at this time of year, could be good for a triathlete to try? We have a climber wall nearby and my daughter may find it fun. Anything else? Many thanks, Stephen. And it's a great... And one of my clients today said about he wanted to be a lot more and I thought it was a really good it's nice to hear people say because you don't hear a lot we said I really want to make sure I'm being really clever with my time and I'm being really thoughtful about the um, about the use of time training before the kids are up or leaving weekends and not touching them unless I'm going away for an event etc etc which I thought was it said I want to really make sure I think about other people I thought that's good because I do think we get a lot of people that don't think about other people. And I know, don't you think? It's, there is a, you know, an element of that. Anyway, I think Simon's hit, um, sorry, Stephen, not Simon. I've got two, two Simons on the brain then. Stephen is getting it right by doing some different stuff. I think one of the great things, he's got a gym, is get on the rowing machine and actually do some rowing. Or torture devices, I like to call it. Well, no, they're not. If you it's do it properly, hideous. it's, it's not. It's only hideous if you get the technique wrong. My God, I'm 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 pretty 
mediocre, very mediocre. Getting on the rowing machine is just a great way of doing the whole body. The thing is, you've got to do it technically using your upper body. And you're no swimmer. I know that. Therefore, your upper body isn't used to aerobic activity. And... I... Uh, don't, 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 don't. Right, it's right, a great carry exercise. On. Carry on. But I think, come on, think of some <laughs> examples for Stephen. I think rowing, because I think you could do it at the gym, it's whole body. It's definitely something I've said multiple times, probably bored people to tears, that when Spencer Smith was at his height in Olympic distance racing, Bill Black, who's an awesome coach, would get him doing rowing as part of his training, uh, steady state and interval type stuff, because it was a lot of triathlon related muscles. It was taxing the whole body in one go. It was non-impact, which was a good way of doing interval work. And because it was slightly less than the sports that the athlete was already very good at, it kept his body developing to be a very fit engine. So I think rowing is, you know, rowing is probably, in terms of an indoor option, okay, you can get the cross-country ski machines, but I think rowers are probably better. And look at rowers that come into cycle sport. They're pretty damn good at it because of the driving mechanisms they have through their thighs. I mean, they are used to pushing quite hard. Is, I, I, I do a bit of con- the concept too, right? I, I do enjoy it. What do you mean you do a bit of concept I do, I do. Well, when I frequent the gym and... When was the last time you were on the rowing machine? Would have been... I 2009. Reckon. <laughs> I reckon... Probably, it was probably two months ago I popped in. <laughs> And then just looked at the running machine, looked at the rowing machine, did a bit. My that was point it. Exactly. But it is. I, I agree with you. I do agree with you with that. I I used to quite enjoy uh, circuits, doing circuits, whether it was upper body and and lower body as well. Especially if number one, it's in a group. We could do it together. So myself and my wife could could go before before kids, um, and that was quite enjoyable. As an off-season thing, yeah. just yeah. To keep, even if you've got an hour of uh, lunch hour, hmm. yeah, that was the the concept to the running and the the circuits used to used to be the circuits was only we used to do an hour in an evening on the circuits and then hmm. fill the lunch hours with with the concept. And I think you can do less specific stuff in the first part of the off-season. So. Before Simon sent... Sorry, Stephen. I've got Simon on the brain. Did he put Simon in one bit and then Stephen in another and he's playing a game? No, he did put Stephen. Sorry, Stephen. (laughs) I think now, (laughs) certainly from February onwards, I'd say people have to get a bit more specific. So they would move away from just general circuits and do perhaps stuff that relates to specific work in the gym. The rowing can be done at any point, but... I do see that as transferring because also it's upper body work, which probably in motorsport, he's, he's been training his upper body to, to take the forces of it, but it's still aerobic, constant work on a row, which is good for the translation over to the, uh, certainly the, the, the part of triathlon, which is not just the swim, but the, the transitions from swim. And if you're using the whole body, in a much more aerobic way. When you swim, you don't use the lower body a huge amount. So you're primarily driving the force through the arms, but they're working at a relatively low percentage. So when you row, what you notice is you're sort of starving the oxygen from the upper body 
because you're using your legs quite a lot. But at the same time, the upper body needs oxygen to do its job. So you find this real equilibrium. That's what I think people find hard, is to, is to get the equilibrium between the transfer of, of oxygen and efficiency across the muscle groups. But that's what you want as triathlete. You are a jack of three completely different trades. So to do that, I think, does translate. And I've always felt, and I've got a concept too, I would say it's probably, if, there was, if you could only have one machine and you had to get rid of... You know, your direct drive trainer or microwave. your... My, <laughs> microwave. Dishwasher. <laughs> dishwasher. A dishwasher's gone, the concept who stays. But they, they are really, really effective. The thing is, they're not the most comfortable. They're still using the same old seats and you have to sit on a towel if you want to be comfy. And it is quite... It's quite basic, but there's a good technique and there's a relaxation when you don't try and go too fast. But also the getting your body used to a rhythm mm. as well as working together with your legs and your arms which i think are, oh not this thing where people go up over the top of their knees that's right how, yeah. do, you get, how do they get to the point where they have to do that <laughs> it's a it's a pull back and then it's a recover so you're not even you, you know i watch people it's amazing you can sit on a row machine in the gym next to somebody and you start doing a few pulls like that and then they start looking at your speed and you just do a few and before you know it they're like going flat out but their stroke length is probably about two feet and you're pulling right the way to the back and leaning back and you've got about a six foot stroke so you're doing maybe 25 strokes and they're going they're trying to do 35 or 40 they're trying going, to saw a small they're, they're, a big piece of wood with a saw a saw small saw yeah. isn't it and they go and it's like no it's really long and then i think well back to his question come on think Stephen. examples i i think definitely different things you do in the gym if they've got an elliptical bike if they've got a row machine if they've got a stepper if you go from the, the gym bike to the stepper to the rower to the you know to the the, the versa climb or whatever else they got in there Keep it mixed and then you can always keep it fun. So there's no restriction on what you do. As long as you're in there doing aerobic stuff. I'm not a massive fan of circuits. I think that's too anaerobically orientated. I don't think you get a massive transfer across for the triathlete. I I think like you said as well, you have to be a bit choosy on when you do it. So Mm. like you said, the start of your off season is something Mm. different to keep Mm. you interested. Mm. I think it's brilliant. I used to drop it as soon as kind of... Jan, end of Jan at the very latest mm. used to come in but the good thing about that then when I started to do specific cycling strength work you felt the difference you tend to lose a little bit in the arms I suppose but then the mountain biking kept that part up mm. and like you said the, the concept too I th- I would I would probably forego a lot of the weight equipment that I've got in my kind of I say gym it's a garage just not polish it up um, to have a concept too because you can't pick them up you can pick them up second hand, but you can't pick them up cheap. You know, they're, they're, they're still quite a bit of money. You can get refurb get... versions. I picked mine up for 300 quid. That's what I mean, three, 400 but, but, quid, but I think. That was a Model B, so that's the, the open grid, open, not the plastic ones, and oh, no. metal open yeah. grid, real classic ones. Sweat attractors. <laughs> and they used to start rusting in the gyms. But they, it's a good piece of kit mm. as well for that. And It's quite simple. It's not a lot to go wrong. They have a very simple LCD. But it's it's the whole body, so it still translates to somebody that goes swimming. It's good for it's good for running because it's a non-impact, but you still use your your, your actual um, calves and the rest of your thighs. So it does translate to setting you up for a lot of other sports. And I think Stephen and lots of other people actually the off season is a great time to try try different things. Get get one of these you know e-bikes. It's a bit like a mountain bike, which you can go off and do a lot more that you may not be used to off-road 
They're virtually like a motorbike anyway, so you just go off and have a bit of fun. You might, as you say, go to the track and therefore use a fixed wheel bike. You could sometimes even tap into, I like the idea of the fiber side, I think that's good. Normally it's injury prone, but if you, if you rein in your competitive nature, then it shouldn't be too bad. But I think definitely the off season is about mixing it up. You eventually have to get a bit more specific, but with a sub three, uh, what was it? Sub three marathon, you know, 10.46 Ironman. Actually, even if you just tapped along and basically did, you know, non-competitive style triathlon training, you would still have to get out and do a little bit of road Know, what I'd call sort of road work in terms of some time spent doing some swimming, some biking, some running. But it'd almost be like you just do one of those and then you tap in some some five-a-side and a bit of rowing and some cross-chain and stuff like that. But not do, oh, I've got to do three swims, three bikes, three runs, and look at the whole thing taking over. Actually, I've got a, a few clients that they wouldn't say that they're specifically triathletes, but they do triathlon training, but lots of other things. And the mixture is so healthy for them to be fresh. And it's not going to make that much performance difference. Okay, if you did not swim and you required the rower to do it for you, you weren't on the bike outdoors. Well, one of the things you want to do is to at least get good at being able to ride maybe in the wind, maybe technical parts of bikes, you're doing sprint distance. Okay, you don't go flat out, but you still have to be able to work at a relatively high percentage and be uh, be able to not lose too much. Okay, there's not that much to lose, and it's I think they're, they're great distances to race. Don't take all day. You can be there, get back, and almost be back by, by lunchtime. But you have to have a little bit of a ground in each of those sports. But we're talking maybe six to 12 minutes of swimming in terms of race pace. You've got something like, I don't know, a 30, 40 minute, if you're doing sprint, or if you go up to Olympic, maybe 70 minute bike. You've got quite small distances, so you don't need a, a huge amount of base mileage. But if you're doing some of your stuff as cross training, and then one session of right, just a steady state run, maybe a bike of, 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 of keeping the bike together. I don't think you'll quite feel the same as when you're doing the training for an Ironman, clearly, but I don't think you're that far off. And if you're reining it in, and as his comments sort of say that it, it's more about keeping the interest high, making it part of his sort of family and lifestyle, then you're not saying it's at all costs, are you? You're saying... I want to mix this in. Can I do different things? Is it all right to try several sports? Of course it is. You've got a pretty good aptitude anyway. There were people listening to this that say, I'll never run under a three-hour marathon and I train like mad. There you go. So I don't think he has to do... But then I think by the sounds of it, Stephen's got a decent grounding on what he can achieve, what he has achieved, what Mm. he wants to achieve Mm. and what he wants to do as far as being a dad or a husband or being part of the family. It's... uh, I I never took any notice of this to a certain degree before I had a family. And the thought of taking people away with me while I was going to race was just a big no-no to start off with. I just thought, <laughs> I thought well, it's bad enough me having to try and concentrate on what I've got to get right rather than... But now coming away with the family and going to do these events, I it, it's a little part of me that... 
that thinks, yes, it would probably be simpler if we didn't have to kind of cart all the kit around, but it's not an inconvenience as no. much as I thought it was going to be. Um, and if, well, it's, if two, it's at least at least there's two people to shout when you get on the podium. At least two. <laughs> yeah, they weren't there that day. Oh. <laughs> that's always the way. Um, but another thing that I quite like about it is it takes the pressure off the day mm. as well. So when you turn up, you you kind of see a little person grinning, or your wife, or your husband, or your cousin, uncle, mother's brother, sister, what is there mm. as part of the family unit. And some days when it doesn't go right, instead of spitting your dummy and sitting in the car effing and jeffing your way home, you're actually not, it's not that bad a thing, is it? You see, like you said, you see either see a little person or the person you want to see at the finish and you just go, didn't go very well, but what do you fancy? Should we just go and have fish and chips or, or something like that? So Stephen's earning He's not earning his, 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 his chips as it would be, but he's now realistic on what he wants to do and achieve yeah, yeah. by using the time he's got. Or his time as well as his family's time mm. to the best of his mm. ability. So, yeah. A yeah. Good, good question and a good, a good balance you've got there. That's a nice way of, of getting it all dovetailed together. Question six from John Chandler. Well, I, I recognise that name. Why do I recognise that name? From Velotech Services. Yes, I do. Yes, so Velotech Services who do Rotor, they do Sipo, they do Seabear, they do... Ooh, something else, I can't remember, whatever it is. And actually, John was at the Bourbon Centre for the Power... Power Camp, Power Day, Power Morning whatever I called it. Anyway, he says, I've adopted Joe Beer's three-zone heart rate approach to training. Is that yours? Is that TM? Is that a trademark? No, no, he says that, but it's not mine. So I'm not even going to We've been through this. I'm going forward and I'm on the right track. My main question is this. For someone like me who's racing from March, April through to August on a mountain bike, do between one hour and four hour races, would you advocate any Z3 work in my training before four or five weeks out from the first race? Or is it all base training from now till then? Kind regards, John. 0845-475-5399-www.velotechservices.co.uk. <laughs> so I, I think there isn't the necessity to do lots of high intensity, but sometimes people like to, they're keeping well there's good consistency they're not going to the gym so they say i want a little bit harder work other people say i i really can't cope with any hard work right now my my plate's full do i have to do hard work and i'll say no i know i know people that don't touch hard work and don't worry when it comes to races they are more than ready to smash themselves to pieces and and perform well what we don't want is somebody that's always trying to stay at their fittest so it is important to know that first he said the right things four to five weeks out from his first race start to bring form on don't take that long if you're doing intervals maybe some specific off-road work on climbs bits that you specifically need to work on that are at high intensity because we're then talking that's probably like from potentially early March onwards actually by the time we get to early March you can feel like I'm ready to start doing a bit of hard work going from beginning of the March 
So beginning of April, I can bring my form on and I'm really starting to want to do hard work. Fast forward, no, backtrack to when this comes out, mid-ish December, you won't be hearing it maybe uh, during a boring time between uh, in-laws and outlaws going in your front door and out your back door and you you just decided to uh, listen to this podcast and take yourself somewhere else in the house and listen to it but if you're over Christmas you might think oh blimey would I really want to be doing lots of high intensity work and plenty of people don't and I don't see the necessity I think it's quite good particularly for mountain bikers to do strength work I think that with quite a few races going through March to August somewhere in there John's going to have some key races. He probably does not want to hit and shouldn't want to hit the first race so full gas and then every other race is going to be also at full gas maximum maximum effort. Can't do it, sorry. You've got to pick your races. So you've got to be able to uh, almost like try to figure out how much do you need to build through the season. Do you need to get to those first ones and be pretty ready or be sort of ready or the first one's going to be a bit of test? Certainly there is a time for harder work. And if you are getting fitter, staying well, getting strong, just because you're in the zone one area, predominantly doing aerobic base work, you can still do overgeared work and push harder. You might just go into zone two. You can do sprints that are short enough that you don't get high heart rates so you can be doing lots of work and yet still not have a massive amount of oh i've got to go up to zone three and smash myself to bring my ftp up in in december or january it's just too early he's saying he does not want to race until march april and that's the key thing when do you want to race and i think that's always misinterpreted by people that they always want to be fit sort of tomorrow as opposed to, no, when do you really want to be fit? What actually counts? Because you can't be fit all the time. You, you shouldn't be looking to produce the same numbers now as you were doing, let's say, eight months ago when you were getting your, your particular PBs or doing your first Ironman or whatever. There's an off in off-season. That means you have to switch things off a bit. And I think, the long and short of it, base training works. But just make sure you're working on strength. But I'm going to pass you over now to our expert podium mountain biker, Martin Crocker, who rides for Southfoot Racing. And he'll be able to tell you even more about what he does. So most of it's made up of guesswork. It, it, I would like to think that you could kid yourself to be able to be absolutely bouncing for every single race that you do. It's just not possible especially with full-time work and things like that. So what I used to do is I used to want to do the harder stuff as well as try and do the easy stuff. Um, Joe and I have been in our relationship for, uh, for quite a few years now. Doing the whole zone one thing, which again I will reiterate is, is mind-numbingly boring sometimes. It is my ride with you. <laughs> I knew you'd say that as well. <laughs> but it does you work. You didn't know I had a headphone in my ear. And it's, yeah, that's it. Just go, mm, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, right. okay. um, no, I just couldn't be bothered to take it out. And it was so cold. I couldn't get my finger out there. So, I just, I always incorporate, like Joe said, a, a little bit of work there that just gives you a, a little reminder of what it is to, to do some hard work. And, I think coming into March to August is so difficult to be able to keep the enthusiasm as well as yeah. see results. You have to see results for you to have your enthusiasm for you to continue pushing and p- 
putting yourself in a box pretty much the only thing is 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 the dying urge to do all that hard stuff really early to be absolutely pinging by the time you come to, to March, April. Particularly January, people are like, oh, when do I start doing speed work? I see, after Christmas, isn't it? After Christmas, everybody just goes potty for it and goes, oh, we've had enough rest now. I've had, I've had a month off. January's, January's December, March too. It's still dark. It's still in the middle of winter. It might be a new year, but it's not a new season yet. No. And with the mountain biking, especially because of the short course racing, it is really difficult to hold back because it brings your form on when you're racing yeah. quite quickly. So you, you could do a series of three races spread over maybe th- a month, maybe a month and a bit more. And then all of a sudden you go, oh yeah, I'm up for this now. Where's right. the next one? When's the next one? When's the next one? Right. So if you've already done your hard work back in January, February, you normally get to April and go... I kind of feel pretty good, but you know, April, May comes along and you're like, oh, I could do the rest now, really. So I think. Which, okay, if you you went to a double peak and you said, I want to hit March, I want to peak by, you know, first week in May, but my next one, my next big peak isn't till August. Okay, you can do a double peak, but then you've got to work out how to come away from the peak, which means backing off from racing having a clear window of, of recovery and then building back up again. So I think, you know, we're not on about. I just, I just think we're not on about a continual right. I'm starting April. I'm just going to keep going all the way through, or even oh, first ones. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do some in March to like really get my form on. And and he was quite when I spoke to him. He was, you know, he was adamant. He sort of knew what he wanted to do, but just wanted to um, firstly, uh, well, get his get his name said on the podcast was probably one of the things. <laughs> Secondly, um, nab a nab a bit of free advice and and third uh try and beat you i think was the key thing i'm pretty well, sure john will be all right yeah, in, that, yeah. in that third category no. yeah um but but i think it, it's always that thing about God, when do i start when do i start and i've always thought that if you do enough aerobic building by the time you get to february even without doing any high intensity work what you start noticing is that you're really starting to feel strong aerobically you can push quite hard and still be doing quite a lot of work and so it then lends itself to start doing anaerobic work if you do it now i just i'm not going to say i don't mind doing a bit of hard work i prefer on the bike certainly over geared type work i don't naturally want to try and get up to to, to threshold or 10 mile time trial effort and start doing intervals because i'm thinking this is this is icing the cake stuff. I don't need to ice the cake right now. But sitting there in a low cadence and pushing, probably, I don't know what would it be. It would be something like sixty to seventy-five percent of peak power. So you know, from sort of the very top of zone one up to threshold, anything in that area, and just get the legs a little bit more pummeled than just sitting there and spin it and. Uh, 90 rpm and going oh this is easy i can just do this in one stuff quite easy overgear work seems to work very well and i i think it also it gives your legs that sensation a bit like resistance training but the real hard intervals or just using races to get better for the key races i think you have to wait and there's so many people that panic into january it's like just don't we might get to january and we've still got the worst two months of weather to come you don't want to start bringing on your form and then be actually be sort of well potentially races in march could still be you know cancelled but you actually think 
you can't peak that early and then do it all over again. So you better let it, just let the fitness come. And by the time you get to March and definitely April, don't worry, you will be chomping at the bit to do hard work. And also your body will respond by letting you push hard. You go, but that doesn't feel hard to get to that wattage now. No, you try doing that in the winter, it's going to feel really difficult. It is, it is difficult. It is difficult for mountain bikers to spread that that kind of effort quite thinly from March to, to August. Um, but most sports are in that. You know, people... Okay, April is probably the early part of the triathlon. And, uh, okay, testers, time trialers can be, you know, certainly March onwards. It's quite common for there to be that long a season. I think the difference being is that how many times do people want to race and how hard do they want to race? You know, do you want to turn up and do, like five or six races really really well and a few building races or do you just want to do loads of racing and just tap through the you know tap through every race as though it's your own personal world championships and hope it all comes good i think it's prioritizing what you do and then working back and saying oh but the first real key race isn't to the end of april well blimey i wouldn't even start hard work till halfway through march because it's amazing how how you can get fit through january february that's like that's eight weeks of still building your base and feeling strong and you'll naturally go but this base is starting to get quicker i'm not even trying it's like that's fitness when the base means that to get out of zone one and to get up to threshold really feels like you can do a lot of work not now where you could quickly get up to threshold and it feel like god this there's not much support under this i'm trying to like do high intensity work but the body a doesn't feel ready for it but it hasn't really built aerobically to its maximum capacity which time as i use the analogy you're icing the cake and it's not even built you want to just keep building the aerobic cake and people that have tried it and stay in zone one and just stay there and okay they do a very tiny percentage of occasional uphill efforts or just find that they naturally do a session a bit quicker they won't be 100 in zone one but they will certainly be there for 90 percent of the time they get to march and like oh, i'm absolutely flying i haven't done any speed work yet it's like yeah that's true fitness you can then do the icing on the cake later right good question question seven from richard lent and this is via twitter hi joe i have a question i think he might have meant meant crocker as well better add that in i guess I heard recently about having an extra unusually heavy training week before starting a taper, e.g. ending it three weeks before an event. What are your thoughts on that? And if it's a good idea, what sort of volume versus your normal week? Keep up the good work, both. Oh, keep up the good work, both. Richard. So... I think the difference being is that he, he's on about an event and having like a heavy week and then starting to taper down. So ending three weeks before an event. I typically work on a four weekly cycle. I'm not going to say this is absolutely rock science, but working back from four weeks, I'm thinking big distances now, like the Ironman type races. And every fourth week is an adaptation week where your body is gets over the training load. That's also trying to synchronize your body to get ready every fourth week, trying to get it into that classic human body 28-day cycle, which you can kind of get into. Because when you have the week off, that's when all the hormones, the recovery, the glycogen storage, the, the like mental just freshness comes back again. Yeah? So, 
I'm going to assume that he's on about, you know, you have a really heavy week at the third week. And then, well, he said ending three weeks before an event. So he's on about doing it in the, ending three weeks before the event. It depends on, is that the third weekend before? Is that the, you know, if you end three weeks before, then actually he's on about doing it in the fourth week, isn't he? Which is normally my adaptation week. I was going to say, would you, would you normally prescribe a... Two-week taper for an Ironman? Oh, no, more than that, no. Because you, you, you have to... And the thing is, for everyone that's done four weekly back and the fourth week out, so a month before, sometimes a month before, people... It's perfect for a half Ironman. So people do a half Ironman in the last adaptation week, which is perfect. You adapt in that week. You've got your five, six-hour event at the end of the week, so you might only do, like, four other 30-minute sessions that week. They do seven hours... Or thereabouts, and that would have been an adaptation week anyway. The difference being is it all is built up for that weekend. They don't smash themselves on the run to pieces because, like, you're like you're a month out from Ironman. I don't you just smash your body. Some people might get away with semi pushing their body. Others you, you don't want to risk it. But then they would recover from that and they would effectively chip away. I I think you have to try these things and see. I I'm not wholly convinced that. You'd have a super heavy week and end it 21 days out. But sometimes that's happened. People have, they've recovered really well on the fourth week. On the third week, they feel really fresh because we're just about to taper. And they'll do a couple of sessions, which they need to do to get right. And I don't, as much as I would like to say, I know what I think somebody should do. You sometimes have to make that decision then. So we're planning that week. We haven't planned that week months before. Say, so, oh, you know what you're going to be doing in, in you know, nine months time. I haven't got a clue because it could be that they're slightly hampered by their running. So you can't do a key run session, but they think they're going to run 21 miles after the day before they've done hundred mile bike rides. Like, not going to happen for you because you're not really running that well right now not not fitness wise but actually injury wise so i think you've got the idea you've got to taper right and i think you have to put restrictions because as people taper what happens is they start feeling better and oh yeah but i'd like to do a bit more and you're like you can't it's a taper the whole point of a taper is you need to be feeling fresher and fresher and fresher and if you don't then you're going to have your best sessions during the taper and not on race day it's when you have the confidence that on race day you will be able to pull everything out of the bag that um, recently a chap who actually qualified for Kona in Cozumel there was half Ironman Lanzarote I don't think it's exactly four weeks it might have been four or five weeks out it's perfect like right you get a race that almost is the end of the hardest phase of what's going on and then we start to taper down. Even in the taper, there was a bit of harder work. There was some some work to be done. But clearly UK weather in October, November meant he wasn't going out and doing six-hour rides in the most horrendous conditions. So I, I think it's really hard for it to be one-fits-all, you know. But but you have to taper. You cannot get a week out and think, oh, I'll just do a few more sessions. Most people take a minimum of two weeks where race week might be... You know, they have the race on the Sunday. They might do three to five hours in that week total. The week before that, they might do seven to nine. The week before that, they might do, you know, 12 to 13. And the week before that, they might have done an adaptation of only seven. So it's clearly tapering down. And of course, somebody's out there. Well done, you. No, I always do 20 hours, blah, blah, blah. Fair enough. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm unconvinced that some people 
do training smartly. They just want to do as much training as possible. And all those hours that they're spending, they're ignoring something else in life. There's always somebody that will have a bigger number. I'm trying to optimize what they do. And I think if you start thinking about a taper, then you know straight away whether you're starting to chip away at time, feel better, numbers look good, can't wait to get to race date, not, oh, well, I just need one more session because then I'll feel good. You know, you're, you're, you're deliberately tapering works by slightly increasing intensity, but most importantly, reducing volume so you feel really good. Yeah. Did you taper for your peak race? <laughs> yeah. To Is that certain, why you didn't come out that weekend? It's like, oh, no, no, can't come out this to weekend. To a certain no. degree. Can't, can't, can't come out this weekend. Um, we'll do one final question and then we'll be done. This is from... This is from Paul Rides, who sent this via Twitter, and he says, uh, Hi Joe, hope you are keeping well. Question for podcast. I've started using beta fuel this winter to see how, how I get on ahead of using it for events next year. My question is, what... Oh, sorry, with it containing... 80 grams of carbohydrate per serving. Is there any need to take on further solid carbs or gels during a ride? I believe that just like protein, the body can only process so much carbohydrates. Thanks, Paul. Isn't that amazing? He's, he and earlier on the question was about how much you can process. So I don't know quite what events. He says Paul rides. I'm going to assume you just ride because you don't say Paul try or whatever. So let's assume he's just riding. He's trying to use beta fuel, which is the SAS sachet we have 80 grams but you can put it in half a liter so you can run it at 16 percent. it's very light that's the one thing you notice you think blimey this would be really easy to drink more without noticing it which is great because sometimes people go oh that's really gloopy and high amounts does he need to take on extra carbs or gels during the ride well depends on how much of that that you're having to have 80 grams of that every hour you could get into a routine and you drink half a liter or more and you say, I don't need any solids. I can have a few gels if I need be. It's hard to prescribe an exact, because some people say, I've got to have some solids. I've got to eat some crunchy bars or, you know, a, a mule bar or a, or a go bar or a, or a cliff shots or whatever. They've got to have it. They really like it. It's a, it's a really nice thing for them to eat. And other people say, I want to keep it simple. What's the easiest routine that I can do? Now, obviously, if you've got sachets, they're not as easy to to refill. If you're going to refill, you've got to stop. So all you need to do is grab water at aid stations if this is a sportive ride, and sachet in each bottle, water on top. That's 80 grams now in 750 mils. There you might find you're not drinking enough. But even so, if you drank 600 mils of that bottle, you'd get round about 55 to 60 grams an hour, which might be enough. So I think you have to experiment. The thing about beta fuel in the winter is you may not need as much like i'm hardly i used it one ride because most of the time just going out fasted or going out on on protein and not really noticing that i'm having to gloop it down and i'm not blowing up after three hours but i think if you go hilly if you go and you want to not push yourself but you want to see okay how light is this drink you've got to try it there is no way any of this lot should be almost almost like done last minute week before try it or see don't know never used it before now is the time to use stuff i just know how to use it and i used it back in london to paris and other rides in the summer 
And I find it was fine because I've got used to those higher energy polymers anyway. But for some people, it's quite new because they've only ever used them as electrolyte drinks. They've never used them as energy drinks. I did the same with um, <clears throat> to the Pyrenees. Oh, did you? I did some riding. Oh. And um, we did a, a day. <laughs> so, that, oh, oh, which, which climbs did you do, Martin? Oh, Tell did, us about well, it. We took on, um, <laughs> on that particular day, it was the Solor. Uh, we did the Sulu. Um And then we also did the Tourmalet. Oh, sorry, well. did you say sorry? Yeah, so you might have heard of them. Um, we did, anyway, but it was a 100-mile day with 13,000 foot of climbing. So I thought today was a nice day to try it, bearing in mind I am on holiday and not racing. Um, and it is actually really good stuff. Like yeah. you said, I was a little bit kind of... I, I don't quite like the you know the actual... Not intensity, but the, the amount, the volume of, of carbohydrate that's in it. But like you said, it seems to be relatively light. It's sticky yeah, as even hell. Half a bottle, <laughs> even half a bottle of it means you're having 40 grams. Yeah, so, so that's like having two gels or a bar. So actually you can, you can get, if you need more fluid, you can always drink separate water. But as an energy thing, you think that's quite easy. How, you know, effectively for most people, they've got two hours in that bottle because lots of people don't, have 80 grams an hour i think they could try higher levels though if you aren't putting out the energy you don't need to take in the energy so people that put out lowish powers don't have to whack down 80 grams an hour because they're actually going to be over fueling yeah but it's it's good stuff and like you said it's now's the time to kind of trial it because some people might it's interesting to watch the watch how people switch so when they try it during training and they go oh no i don't like the taste of that Oh, that'll just have to do. We'll, we'll, we'll do it during the race. And then during the race, they'll go, oh, yeah, I didn't really take any notice. Yeah. Because I think there's... Your a- taste buds change when you're exercising versus when you are at rest. So you can't try drinks and go, oh, I'm not sure about that. You've got to be in exercise, exercise to, to do taste it. it. Yeah. And also to put yourself in a bit of a, you know, go to somewhere where you really have to start thinking about your energy and put it under a certain amount of stress. Because you can't do it if you're bimbling along and you're in middle of zone one or you try it once for a swimming session but only drink a part of the bottle it's like no you've got to be under a little bit of pressure so often longer sessions or dilute it down to the right proportions and just make sure you try it to see what does the taste feel like and then what's it like as an energy deliverer yeah but it is, it is the prime thing to trial as you are training just purely from the fact that you know, do you need the volume? Can you handle the volume? Then yes, sometimes your stomach says no. Yep. Um, and you would rather have it that way than to get to go out and, and go for, like Joe said, go for a bimble along, try and force these carbs down. It seems to be all right. You go to your race, your stomach's getting, no, thanks, I don't, I don't want yeah. any part of this. Yeah. And you're stopping to have to get off the bike or um, you know, you're, you're having to kind of visit a rural hedge during the run or things like that. So like I said, trial now is probably the best way to go. And there is a, I guess there's a part truth of, you know, he says, I believe that you can, only process so much the ballpark figure is a gram per kilo per hour so if you're 70 kilos you should be able to process around 70 grams if you're a much heavier athlete and it's not all muscle and i'll say that nicely then you don't need necessarily oh i'm 100 kilos i need 100 grams an hour no you probably don't your active muscle is probably only you know 
the same as most other males, but you may you may be a slightly larger, have a higher percentage of fat as an individual. Therefore, you still need to fuel the body, but you may not need to give it much carbs. What we're not doing is say go for the maximum amount. You know, one bottle of this an hour, eighty grams an hour, etc., etc. No, what you want is to is to find what your sweet spot is. And for many people, certainly in competition, they'll aim at around a gram per kilo per hour. But when you start working at very high levels, high performance athletes that are putting out, for example, go back to our thousand calorie an hour Ironman athlete. Well, of course, something like this is quite a good way of thinking, even if they have, if you split three sachets over two bottles, Okay, that still works out right because you've got one and a half sachets per 750 mils. So I've got a 750 ml bottle. So you'd have 120 grams in that bottle. We think 120 in one bottle, 120 in another. That's 240 grams. That's a lot of, of actual energy to be able to get in. And you've only got two, two bottles and that's it. That's great. That's your 240. But 240 for somebody working at high level, if they have 80 grams an hour, we're back to, okay, that's going to last him three hours. So he has two thirds of a bottle every hour, other liquid as he needs, and a little bit of additional things. But it takes some, some real, I think, calculations, then some trial in, then some, oh, that flavor doesn't work, or that one does, or, you know what, I know what the ballpark is, but if I need more fluid, I can get it this way. If I need more carbs I can get this gel if I need something solid I'll have this bar I think you have to have a central starting point and then you have options from that you can't stick to something if it's not going well think actually it's a bit colder on race day I need something solid to get digestion going and to get something to eat and to munch right you should have something that you can eat you should have something to get quick gel um, kind of carbs in something that's got caffeine in at the right part of the event to increase your alertness and your performance there's all different ways of doing it but there's no like one product at one scenario you have to chip away at what's the limiting factor and and can you feel yourself because you can't always end up with races saying oh, i could have gone faster but oh i just didn't sit right in my stomach and so many people are like that and it's like look just get back to the plan see what worked refine it for next time every time you refine it it'll adapt each time but you get better at working out do you know what i need more than other people they get by on only 40 grams i need 70 or i go pop right okay if you find out that you need 70 they need 40 great you're wiser to it and i think paul experiment with beta fuel see if you like certain solids that will work for you but don't go for a one fits all scenario and think that you know you've got it right for every single every single uh, uh, race, training session, etc. There's no one product for all scenarios. Next episode, we're going to do something on vitamin D. Oh, a recent a flow chart there. Because a recent study found that no. one in 10 male, uh, males and one in three females was actually vitamin D deficient. Uh, and I've got a graph of a, of a chap that started with me and how we've risen up his vitamin D status from very poor to really good. And coincidentally, so has his performance done that. But that's for next time. I can hardly control myself. I know. It will have to be after Christmas, though, so you're going to have to wait. <laughs> you will have to wait. I don't think we'll get another chance before Christmas. We might, but you never know. Who knows? So we appreciate these questions. They've been really good this month. They've been really diverse, fun, good, good, good questions. Things to, to make us think. 
with every question, I always say to people, could you put a review on iTunes if possible? If you're listening to now and you want to put a review up, it always helps us. It's nice to have uh, what people want to say. Absolutely the truth. We, we like the negatives and the positive. That's how we get better. So you can contact us through the Twitter feed at southforkracing.co.uk. What's your Twitter feed? Um, I've got no idea. No, I've got no idea. Look for Martin Crocker with a really weird picture. I thought I put one out. This is the man for you, you all to contact. <laughs> uh, follow at Southport Racing at Coach Joe Beer. We're Instagram. We're tweeting. We're we're all over this. We're all over the Instagram sphere place. Insider news, research updates, questions, etc., etc. Will all be next. Next month, it'll be a packed, packed, packed episode. Possibly January. Possibly. And we really thank you for downloading, for listening, for getting this far through the podcast. Please give us your, uh, yeah, give us your your feedback and uh, always, always love getting really good questions. Exercise, health and fitness is great. Uh, let's be part of the solution. Make sure that we, you know, we are not part of the problem. We don't overtrain. It's not all about ego, cheating, causing harm. We make sure that we, you know, we definitely come out of this for the for the better. So let's have fun. Let's be still quicker next year. I want you on that podium again, not just the once. That's not good enough, okay? And one day, one day, Martin, perhaps you can go under the hour for a time job. But anyway, anyway. Let's, it's let's, awesome. we, we, we better say should we say happy Christmas because there is you know just in case just in case we don't do one before another one before Christmas which is very unlikely but should yeah. we say happy Christmas to people if you don't celebrate Christmas have a great time off in the middle of the dark period of winter we will soon be turning the corner by the time we get to about the 31st of December 1st of January we've definitely started to turn the corner and gain two minutes of daylight Dark length day. per day so we are at the turning point. So have a fantastic Christmas or holiday um, and have a cracking new year as well. Uh, stay safe and make sure that you keep your questions coming in to, uh, to us. Uh, hopefully we can answer them as good next year, if not better, as we have this year. Um, we can, we're more than happy to take advice on how we can make this Less of less of a snooze fest, I want to say. I can imagine some guys have come, have come in and seen me and just gone, I really enjoy the podcast. And it's just, it, it's so helpful when you're just having a bit of downtime. And of course, that to me is just a polite way of going, sometimes I do use it as a, some form of sleep aid. Um, but if we can improve in any way, shape or form, just let us know. We're, we're yes. more than happy to take it on the chin. So, so. Peace and happiness to all of our listeners. Make sure you train smart. And have fun. <laughs>